Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. It's always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Daly and welcome back to the sh- America's favorite Formula One podcast hosted by two Canadians. Uh, one of whom has a British passport. One speaks fluent Dutch, and the first one is fluent in Farsi. Did I get that right? That was a bit of a mouthful. Anyways, Mr. Mark Hamilton is here as always. How are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing well, but I was pretty sure we both had British passports, didn't we? Well, yeah, we do, actually. That's, uh, that, that's correct. Yeah, I, I, just, kind of, I just like, want to clarify. up on my own joke. <laughs> yeah, American adjacent, American adjacent, America's favorite po- F1 podcast hosted by two Canadians that have uh, pretty significant British ties, although your ties extend across the channel into continental yep. Europe, and my ties tend to extend into the Middle East. So it's good, dude. I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm good, and hey, guys, can you tell that the, we are on an off weekend for Formula One? Just to, you know, judging by the way that the show kicked off this week, but I'm great, man. It's been uh, it's been a busy week, but it's been a good one. Looking forward to a shorter week next week because we've got Canada Day on Friday, July first. That means it's a four day week, and then right on the other flip side of it, you got July fourth down in the states. So everyone in North America is looking forward to something next week. So it's a great time of year. Got the British Grand Prix coming up, Formula One is always keeping us excited keeping us interested hopefully and uh yeah i'm just kind of in a happy place you could say and just on that note about the british grand prix as well micah one of our great listeners who's been loyal and supportive for a very long time who's also the individual that was responsible for our new play in music he will be at the british grand prix not to put his business in the streets but micah <laughs> i did message you about this you have to a buy a cornish pasty eat it but also send a photo of yourself eating it because that is my favorite treat when i am at the british grand prix little hp sauce or it's the british often just call it brown sauce Perfect. Yeah. I love it. So please, for me, since I won't be there, enjoy a Cornish pasty on, on behalf of M. Hamilton. And M. Daly. I'm kind of hungry now that uh, you've uh, <laughs> thrown that out there. And I had my dinner already, but whatever. We will be professionals here. We'll keep going. We'll try and get through the, the, the entirety of the show without our stomachs getting the best of us. But... Why don't we get into it? Because, my friend, you've had a bit of a week and it kind of kicked off a little bit strange to those of us in the Scuderia F1 inner circle. Do you want to? You got a bit of a PSA here so prepared. So, yeah, 100%. And, and I yeah. appreciate you letting me have the floor. So, for everyone listening at home, I think one of the things that you and I strive to be is accessible and humble and, and vulnerable. And you know, a couple of months ago, I saw a whole list of my friends and family um, 
experiencing Instagram hacking. So people take over their Instagram, they start using their Instagram accounts to promote Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. So I saw a lot of this. My wife's like, you know, we really should turn on two-factor authentication for all of our apps. So I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. So we did it for Instagram. We did it for Twitter. Um, Facebook, I just deleted because that's not worth having anyways. But what I never even thought about doing was turning on two-factor authentication for WhatsApp because I assumed that because I thought it was tied to your phone number, it was pretty impenetrable. And WhatsApp's really good at promoting its encryption and its security. And Sunday night, I started getting phone calls at around 2, 3, 4 in the morning from random US numbers. So Georgia and Mississippi. And I was just ignoring them because here in Canada, and I'm sure it's like that in the States, we get a ton. We just get a ton of spam calls. You've won a free cruise. The Canadian Revenue Agency's coming after you for money. You owe the Republican money or donation money. Like It's crazy stuff that we get. And again, it's all spam. It's all phishing. But I started getting these phone calls, so I ignored them. But eventually, they started going to voicemail. So I eventually listened to one. It's just like, your verification code is blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I was in this weird daze, and I just like, whatever. Woke up in the morning at 7 o'clock picked up my phone as we do. Like I think the first thing any of us do is pick up our phone. I went to WhatsApp and I was logged out. I'm just like, oh, F, I know exactly what's happened at this point. So a hacker had managed to take over my my Instagram or my WhatsApp uh, account. I managed to re-request a new verification code via SMS. Um, somehow I did manage to get it. I got in, I immediately turned on two-factor authentication and set a pin. But in the meantime, this person was in my account, accessed my contacts, was sending everyone a message, obviously trying to do further phishing. Ultimately, and this is where I'm going to be super vulnerable, we we discovered how he was able to hack me. Um, ultimately, this individual was trying to log in with my phone number on his phone. He had determined that he knew who my cell phone carrier was, and he'd managed to hack my voicemail. So he was asking WhatsApp to send the verification codes via voice call, knowing that they would go to voicemail. And he was able to figure out my voicemail because I was still using the same generic voicemail password that was set up when I got my phone. I don't use my voicemail. My password was my phone number. He figured it out. He managed to get the verification code out of my voicemail. And that's how he did it. Wow. So again, to wow. everyone at home, I'll wrap this up. Two-factor authentication, enable it everywhere. LinkedIn. WhatsApp, all your social media apps, 100%. Reset your passwords and just be ultra, 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 ultra careful. And just know that eventually it's going to happen to you. And if it doesn't, it's because you're being very wise and you have all of these different security protocols activated. So I felt incredibly violated. And I have a lot of people in my phone that were very, very angry at me because I got hacked and it just made the situation even worse. So, you know, I learned a powerful lesson and I just want to kind of convey that to everyone to factor it up. Yeah, you know, that really, really sucks, dude. But, you know, honestly, it was a good reminder for me as well because I didn't have 2FA like uh, activated on a couple of different platforms. So I immediately went and did that uh, right away. So, yeah, guys, uh, learn from Mr. H here and uh, make sure you engage that as well. So let's move on to some uh, more pleasant things. So we've got that out of the way. Why don't you give everybody at home that's listening, let, let's give the community an update in our F1 Fantasy League. And I promise I'll make this super quick because I took a long time with my public to, service man. announcement. <laughs> 
Sitting at number one from the great United Kingdom, Andrew T with 1,928 points. Number two, also from the UK, Marshall W, 1,872 points. Number three, also from the UK, Whitman R, 1,861 points. Number four is Christopher N, 1,860 points. Number four, tied for number four, Thaddeus F, also from the UK, 1,860 points. Our first North American entry in the top 10, Roland K, 1,847 points. Number seven, also from the UK, Delbert D, 1,845 points. Number eight, also from the UK, Ludwig Y, 1,836 points. Number nine, Bradley P from Canada. So the highest ranking Canadian in the fantasy pool, 1,835 points. And rounding out the top 10, a new entry from Clemmy Racing, Clemmy R, also from the United Kingdom, 1,829 points. I have dropped down to 493 out of 2,100 teams. And I, I largely blame myself, given the fact that I banked on Lance Stroll and uh, Nicholas Latifi to deliver some big points this year. And that clearly hasn't <laughs> happened. I think this, you know, if I was your race engineer, I'd be, Mark, we're switching over to Plan D. I think that plan would be... Plan D. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... Yeah, best not to say anything about that. But I, I kind of spaced there kind of uh, for a moment. To, but uh, did I count correct? Are nine out of the 10 uh, in our list there in, in in the standings all from the UK? Because seven, so seven of seven. 10. Seven. seven of 10. Wow, that that's impressive. Way to go, everybody. Okay, well, why don't we go over quickly and just take a quick look at the, uh, the World Championships, both of them, uh, both the drivers and constructors. We'll start on the driver's side. Max Verstappen from Red Bull is uh, leading the way with 175 uh, points. And then you have Sergio Perez, his teammate, second with 129. Charles Leclerc from Ferrari with 126. George Russell in the first of the two Mercedes cars with 111. Carlos Sainz from Ferrari with 102. And then Lewis Hamilton rounding out the top six because we got to give Lewis a little bit of love. 77 points for the second Mercedes driver. Over on the constructor side, it is really all just on the uh, all Red Bull at the moment, and I've lost my spot here. What happened to my points? Here we go. I'll just reload it here. And uh, this, I know this makes for engaging listening. Thank you, everybody. Red Bull, 304 points. Uh, I had a Ferrari with 228. Mercedes, 188 points. McLaren, fourth in the World Championship or the Constructors' Championship with 65. And Alpine with 57. So it's getting a little bit interesting in the Constructors' side. You have Alpine closing in on McLaren. Alpine's had some uh, good results, and McLaren had a bit of a weekend to forget about, especially Lando did at any rate. And Mercedes, I would not count them out <laughs> catching Ferrari. They're not really all that far behind in the grand scheme of things, although they are not really pulling in the uh, the, the points quite as quickly as you might expect. Anyways, that's the, uh, the, the points uh, update. Anyways, uh, why don't you, Mark, uh, just take it over and uh, give us uh, an update for what was it the uh, the ratings at the Canadian Grand Prix? Yeah, absolutely. We hinted last week at the fact that oftentimes the Canadian Grand Prix is the highest rated or one of the top two or three highest rating sporting events on the calendar each year, following shortly after things like the Champions League final and the Super Bowl. I think in 2005, 6, 7, 8, it typically mm -hmm. ranked as the third highest viewed sporting event in the world, which is pretty cool. This year did not disappoint. So a couple of things, 
In the US, and this is from racer.com, in the US, they average 1.7 million US viewers for the actual race telecast itself, shattering virtually all records. This is topping the 1.5 million that Fox drew in 2007. That comp is important because 2005, 6, 7, 8 was kind of peak Formula One, to be totally honest, and it gradually declined through the early parts of the turbo hybrid era. That's fantastic. Through nine races this year, ESPN ABC is averaging 1.3 million viewers per race. That is a 39% comp year over year. So if you look at the first nine races last year, ESPN ABC is drawing 40% more viewers, which is pretty cool. It's also particularly interesting when you consider the fact that this doesn't account for people that are watching legal or illegal streams. So that's pretty Great cool. Point. And then up in Canada, this is from Adam Seaborn. Great job, Adam. 1.26 million Canadians tuned in on TSN RDS, making it the most watched F1 race ever in Canada. And again, talk about this Canadian population is one tenth of the U S our ratings are about 80% of theirs in terms of whole numbers. So it speaks to just how big F1 is in Canada. We talked as well about the fact that it's still pretty regional Southern Ontario and Quebec, but still it's seeing significant growth as well, but exciting on both sides of the border. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really, really big numbers. And I guess it just goes to show, again, just a year on year, how much uh, Formula One is actually growing in North America. But that that comp, you know, if you just sort of like correct uh, between the, the, the two populations between Canada and the USA, that is really, really uh, a, f- a fascinating stat. But we'll see how it levels out because we, as we've seen over the past couple of years, it just seems to be growing and growing south of the 49th each and every year. Okay, next uh, up is a stat that looks like it came from the Formula One subreddit. So I'm sure you pulled this one out. So why don't you explain it? Because it's it's a pretty cool one. And it's, uh, you know, it kind of adds a little bit of, I would say, well, not a little bit, a lot of the uh, the fuel to the goat discussion when talking about Lewis Hamilton. 100%. And I I should be clear as well that our prep for these podcasts definitely goes further than the Formula One subreddit. And I know we're criticized (laughs) for doing all of our research there, but again, we give credit where credit is due. And this poster, this user Vertico EC indicated that, hey, here's how Lewis and Max compare after 150 Formula One Grand Prix. So after 150 Formula One Grand Prix, and again, when you think about Lewis, that's his McLaren career and the early part of his his Mercedes career, 34 wins, 40 poles, and 72 podiums in 150 races, meaning that he scored a podium almost half of the time he raced. So 34 wins, 40 poles, 72 podiums. Max Verstappen, 26 wins, 15 poles, and 60 seven podiums. And I think the key thing to consider here is that almost all of Max's career has overlapped with that period of Mercedes brilliance and Mercedes dominance. So very different career arc and timeline than Lewis, but pretty interesting. 34 wins to 26, 40 poles to 15, and 72 podiums to 67 podiums. So a lot closer than you might think. Yeah, and incredible stats uh, from from both of them in the early part of their careers. But I mean, Lewis's are just absolutely mind blowing. Forty poles in his first 150 races—that is something uh, just amazing. And just just to be clear, before we move on, uh, Mark, not only do we do all our show uh, research on Reddit, but we also use Wikipedia heavily. So there you, go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, sort of supplemented by a good dose of Twitter. So you know, just to make sure we got all the bases covered here. 
Yeah. Um, just a, a quick word here on perhaps uh, the U.S. Uh, media or F1 media rights. Mark, uh, this is yours again. Well, so why don't you explain to everybody? Yeah, yeah. I'll take found. this, and I probably should have paired this again. This speaks to our lack of, of preparedness tonight. But Adam Stern is reporting that word out of Montreal is that a decision on the U.S. F1 media rights is very, very close. And furthermore, there are three bidders: Disney, who is obviously represented at a network level by ESPN and ABC, Comcast, NBC, which is interesting because prior to F1 landing on ABC, uh, NBC Sportsnet was carrying Formula One. And interestingly as well, the streaming service Amazon Prime is in the bidding. So it's right now down to three three platforms. It's going to be ESPN, ABC, Comcast, NBC, or the streaming service Amazon Prime. And again, for everyone that listening at home right now, ESPN is getting it for all but nothing. They're paying $5 million a year, which is representatively nothing in terms of the value of professional sports. And that was by design. Formula One did that intentionally because they wanted to grow the exposure and just get Formula One onto a great platform like ESPN. Uh, but now the the cows are coming home or the cows are coming home to roost or however that expression works. What I mean is that Formula One is looking for a pretty significant payday from one of those three sources. Yeah, well, I can tell you, it's definitely the cows aren't coming home to roost. I guess that would be the chickens. <laughs> you know, how can you tell that we live in the suburbs? We don't live out in the, the farm exactly. country. <laughs> exactly. Okay, moving along, this is going to kind of like uh, parlay nicely into a, or segue nicely into a, a little fun segment we've got uh, prepared here coming up. But this kind of gone down with some mixed reaction in the Formula One community. And it was the announcement uh, earlier this week that uh, McLaren has partnered with Goldman Sachs, uh, which is a global financial uh, financial pardon me, institution. And they're going to be a, an official partner of the team for 2022 and beyond. Uh, anyways, uh, Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing, said, quote, we're thrilled to partner with Golden, Goldman Sachs, a global institution which shares McLaren Racing's own values in recognizing the importance of sustainability. As we work to achieve our bold long-term goals, Goldman Sachs support will provide an invaluable boost in fast-tracking our progress. Goldman Sachs will be a key partner in a sustainability journey, and we look forward to collaborating to make a positive contrib- contribution to our team, communities, and the wider world, end quote. And Fiona Carter, who's the CMO at Goldman Sachs, said, quote, Goldman Sachs and McLaren share an ambition to accelerate the progress for fans, our clients, and in our communities. Together, we're excited to see what's possible when we push our collective technical and intellectual expertise to the limit, end quote. So there you go. But, you know, I'd like to say, I mean, this was met with a, a little bit. It wasn't received with a lot of warmth in the Formula One community. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and maybe and really nor should it be. And this continues a tradition, I think, of Formula One teams striking accords with questionable uh, corporate partners or companies that have a questionable track record of bringing greatness to society. And you're right that the initial reaction of the backlash to this was pretty significant. Now, purely from a business perspective, kudos to Zach Brown and the entire sales team at McLaren Racing. Despite the fact that they are far from a championship contender, they seem to be able to continually secure big dollar sponsors. Again, from my perspective, I grit my teeth a little bit. I mean, ultimately, Ultimately, this is better maybe than a tobacco company, of which McLaren is also partnered when you think about the Better Tomorrow uh, campaign that they're they're partnered with. And of course, Mission Winnow, which is of course partnered with Ferrari, unfortunately. This is a 
a somewhat unsettling partnership for a host of reasons that we probably won't get into here. But what it does do is give us the opportunity to have a little bit of fun and have a have a little bit of a game here. So what we've done is we've gone and put together a list of all the most sinister corporations across fiction. So books, novels, cartoons, movies. And what we're going to do is go back and forth and determine which current Formula One team each one of these companies is the best fit for. Now, we won't go necessarily into the specifics as to why, because this could be a five-hour podcast, but we've got a couple (laughs) of really good ones here. So Mr. Daly, I'm going to kick this off with you, and I'm going to give you this one. Cyberdyne Systems, of course, a famous company because they brought the world Skynet, which brought us artificial intelligence, which ultimately wiped out humanity. Which team do you think Cyberdyne would be the best fit for? Oh, Mercedes, because they wiped out Formula One for almost a decade. That's that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a slam dunk. But I I say that tongue firmly planted in cheek. I love the Mercedes team. They're 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 great. But I love it. Know. I love it. What about what about Ingen, the company that brought us Jurassic Park? Hmm. Ooh, this is a little. I'm going to go with Haas. I'm going to I'm going to partner them up with Haas. Okay. I'm going to yeah. ask another one. Hulu, the uh, the company that is in itself is a meme of Google from the television show Silicon Valley from HBO. Hulu. Hmm. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna partner them up with the McLaren because you know you got like the the Google you know like on the wheel covers, right? There there are colors on there. That is exactly the one that I was going to go with as well. Ah, uh, you're gonna like this one, and we, you know we've got okay. a. We've got a WhatsApp group going right now that has a lot of Simpsons references. But think about Hank Scorpio's Globex from The Simpsons. Globex. Well, hang on. Did you say Hank Scorpio? I did. By the way, Homer, what's your least favorite country? Italy or France? France. <laughs> Nobody ever says Italy. Uh, you know, I, I'm you know I'm going to be uh, I'm not even assigned that to a team. Globex is now the new official podcast sponsor of Scuderia F1 because <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm a big Hank Scorpio fan. That's one of my favorite Simpsons episodes from all time. And I'll I'll be fair if you are listening at home and you do happen to run a multi million dollar corporation, we are always open to conversations about a new title sponsor. Uh, Globex, I think, would be a good fit for our values and our moral compass. So yeah, Globex, Hank Scorpio, if you're listening at home, uh, reach out and let us know. I got a couple what others for you here, real quick. Sure, sure. From Resident Evil, Umbrella Corp. Which F1 team is a good fit for Umbrella Corp? Hmm, Umbrella Corp. Um. Let's go with Sauber Alfa Romeo. Sauber, okay. Very good. Yeah. What about from the DC Universe from Superman, LexCorp, another evil organization? I think we got to go with Ferrari. If we're going to go with Cyberdyne Systems for, uh, for, uh, for McLaren, sorry, McLaren, for Mercedes, <laughs> I think, I think we got to give, uh, the other evil one to Ferrari. But then I think we got to find one that should maybe go in there because now we, we've called Mercedes evil. We called Ferrari evil, Red Bull. And we're like, we're, we're just as <laughs> evil as those two guys. Free? Yeah. Why are they getting <laughs> off scot free? So here's a good one then. The Wayland Utani Corporation from Alien. Hmm. Do we just give it to Red Bull just because yeah, we've default, overlooked them so much? <laughs> by default, by default. Yeah. And then the last one on the list is the by and large corporation from the Pixar universe, specifically from the movie Wally. By yeah. and large. Yeah, well, I, maybe uh, I, I'm just going to like maybe forget about by and large. I mean, you know, no dispre- disrespect to, to Wally, but, you know, both you and I are big fans of The Office. So what about Dunder Mifflin? You know, oh, like, that's a throw great d- one. 
Yeah, I you know I don't think it would look out of place on the uh, for livery on the, the the Williams cars. What, what do you think? A shout so out! I think Dunder Mifflin and, and Williams. I think that's that's a match made in heaven. There's probably only, and I know Dunder Mifflin isn't necessarily an evil corporation, uh, no, but they no. are largely an incompetent corporation and a borderline bankrupt corporation throughout <laughs> the entire run of that series. So I think they would be a great fit for Haas. Right? Haas is always looking for sponsors. Doesn't necessarily do the due diligence necessary to make sure that they've got a financially viable sponsor. So I think Haas would be a good one. And I also agree with you that Williams, again, based on the fact that they've been struggling for sponsors, they've got a pay driver, they're working on a shoestring budget. I think they would take that big Dunder Mifflin money too. <laughs> the big Dunder Mifflin cash payout. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? But you know, uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't Dwight Schrute be like the best like race engineer? Wouldn't that be some like make for some great radio conversations? Like Definitely. I can't even think of Definitely. anything, but uh that or you don't get Daryl in there as well. I was a big fan of Daryl. I don't know why, but uh, he's just one of the characters that kind of resonated with me. I'm, I, I guess they all did to a certain extent, but cool. anyways. Okay, oh, cool. Enough of this. Let's get on to the enough. real stories. Oh, do we have to go with this one first? Let's just get this one we, out of the we way. We got to get this one out yeah. of the way. So Red Bull has uh, suspended junior driver Yuri Vips for an alleged uh, racial slur during a stream uh, earlier this week. So... Yeah, I mean, not a good look for them. Obviously, not a good uh, look uh, for for him. And uh, well, did you want to talk about that one a little bit more? I don't seem to have it loaded into yeah, my I'll, slides Yeah, I'll talk here. about this one yeah. a little bit. And I'm actually going to reference um, a, an emergency engine failure newsletter that Lily Herman sent out. And uh, she writes, oh, Yuri, we, and I'm going to quote here, we need to talk about Yuri Vips because duh, for those who missed the news earlier this week, F2 driver Yuri Vips was suspended from the Red Bull Junior team after saying the N-word during a Twitch live stream that included Eef. fellow F2 driver and Red Bull compatriot Liam Lawson. Yuri then referred to wearing a pink Red Bull hat as, uh, I don't even want to say this out loud, as G-A-Y. His future at his F2 team high tech is also a little murky for the time being. And she says, in the words of every liberal arts college grad, there's a lot to unpack here. First and foremost, Vips, 21 years old, almost 22. So I don't want to hear any of this nonsense where folks treat him like a child. What he's experiencing now are things called consequences. That's a part of growing up. So that was quoting the engine failure newsletter that Lily sent out. I am in total agreement. There's just... There could just be no, there could be no world where we can make accommodations for these type of mistakes. And I was really happy to see how quickly the Red Bull organization acted on this, but it also throws into light how awful the Nikita Mazepan situation was handled a year ago last January in that incident where he was driving with that young woman in, in Dubai. I mean, like in this case, it's appropriate. Red Bull recognizes that one of their drivers is woefully offside, demonstrated racist tendencies, and misrepresented the brand or represented the Mm -hmm. brand poorly. That's dangerous for them. It's dangerous for him. And it's just terrible for the world of motorsports, which is working so hard to become more inclusive. But it also just reinforces the double standard that often exists in Formula One when you have a pay driver like Nikita Mazepan, who also acted atrociously wasn't smart enough to recognize that what he did was entirely offside and then posted it to social media to share with the world. And of course, in his case, there was an internal investigation, findings that were never shared, no public consequences, and he had the opportunity to race in Formula One. So unfortunately, we still live in a world where there's wildly differing standards. And again, they're very different situations, but to me, they're both 
grossly offside in, in any standard or any context, but it's good to see that Red Bull was acting very quickly. And if not by tomorrow, when people are listening to the show, expect that his F2 team high tech will drop him as well. And just like yeah. Liz said, ultimately he's facing consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And rightly so. Anyways, Mark, let's take a quick break here. We're a little bit uh, behind schedule tonight. So we're going to just uh, pause for a moment here. A quick message from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be right back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And yeah, a little bit more. I don't know if this is unpleasant news, but it's just kind of like head scratching, kind of like, why even bother at this point? But apparently uh, Nikita Mazepin is suing Haas for unpaid wages. He uh, told Russian uh, outlet championat.com, quote, at the termination of the contract, Haas had a salary debt to be for this year and they still haven't pay, uh, paid it. It seems to me that the employer should at least compensate the salary until the moment of termination and probably pay some severance play. And when the whole world kicks you somewhere, that's probably wrong. But that's just my opinion, end quote. So... Uh, there you go. <laughs> He's yeah, also only, posted to his Twitter as well, but yeah, man, I don't know. The only thing I'll add to that is not only does he have no, not only does he have any appreciation for the perception of him globally, and not only does he obviously come from an incredibly well-funded family, he was a pay driver. That team was deriving almost all of its sponsorship income from his father even if he was receiving a salary, it was a token salary that they had to put on the books, but that money was coming from his father. So I don't know if this is a principled stance. I don't know if he suddenly needs that money, but it's entirely offside and really, really disappointing. And I think ultimately we still probably give Mazapan too much time on the show, but I put it on the outline just because I thought it was pretty, pretty disgusting that he doesn't have the self-awareness to realize how offside this is. Yeah. Now moving on to the next story and can, you know, I, I can't read this one and sit here for the next nine months knowing that this is going to be in the next season of, uh, of drive to survive. But apparently the Netflix uh, camera crew was in there from box to box films. 
but they were in the driver's meeting or whatever it was at the uh, the Canadian Grand Prix. And this was, um, you know, we, we talked about it last week on the show, this uh, technical directive that dropped uh, regarding porpoising. And apparently there was a really heated, tense exchange between Christian and Toto. That's been captured on family or sorry, on family on film. How do, how do I even confuse those two words? But uh, anyways, it's uh, Christian kind of feels that maybe Toto was basically acting out for, for the cameras is the, the, the way that I understand the gist of this story or this rumor anyways. Definitely. We talked a little bit last week about the fact that the FIA was going to implement Technical Directive 039 in a, in an effort to save the drivers from the teams and to save the teams from themselves. And we talked about the technicalities and the technical nature of that that technical directive, but there seems to be a lot of politicking amongst the teams. And of course, the teams are represented by... Uh, Individuals like Mattia Bonato and Total Wolf and Christian Horner. And by all accounts, there was a meeting and there was a very, very loud verbal disagreement amongst chiefly three of them reportedly Total Wolf, Mattia Bonato, and Christian Horner. And apparently, Netflix was present in the moment. So not only was it a very spicy, very, very, very loud clash amongst three very high profile executives within Formula One, apparently it was all caught on camera. And then subsequent to that, just like you described, Total Wolf in particular has been criticized openly within the paddock for embellishing and playing it up for for the camera. And of course, I think part of that is I think he's a little bit on the defensive because I think a lot of the teams feel that the FIA directive is in response to Mercedes' well, mm-hmm. well-championed campaign um, about the challenge of porpoising, which again, they should have been able to engineer out of their car and they weren't able to, but very, very spicy. And I look forward to seeing what that's going to look like to your point in about nine months from now. <laughs> I know it doesn't seem like all that long ago since the, the latest drop uh, was released and to sit, think we got to sit through <sighs> the rest of a Formula One season, the winter. I know, I know. <laughs> the, the epitome of first world problems. But moving along to the next story, this one is a is a juicy one. So apparently, um, one of the team principals in the Formula One uh, paddock has told a reporter from the German, or sorry, Swiss uh, outlet Blick.ch uh, that apparently Audi has secured 25% of shares in Sauber, which is the the team currently known as, uh, sorry, Alfa Romeo, which, as you've so correctly pointed out for quite a while, is just a marketing uh, exercise on behalf of uh, Alfa Romeo. It's still the same Sauber team as, it, you know, when, when you take all the fancy livery off. So anyways, uh, Audi has uh, for some time had 25% uh, shares in Sauber, and apparently... They're gonna they're they're gonna double down on this or triple down, and they're gonna get another fifty percent on top of that. So I mean, if I do my math correctly, they're gonna be have uh, control of seventy five percent of the shares in Sauber, which is uh, amazing. <laughs> That's that you know. So you, you kind of wonder why that uh, they they didn't. I, I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons why they didn't sell out to um, to the Andretti group last year. It was about this time last summer, wasn't it? Or yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, a little yeah. bit. Late summer, late summer. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite a year since uh, Andretti was really kicking the tires and trying to you know buy their way into into Formula One via Sauber for what was it at a time? Like $280 million or something? Yeah, it was sub 300 mil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but you can see why they, they they didn't sell out. I mean, maybe there was a phone call from the rest of the team principals saying, hey, what the heck are you guys doing? You sell out. You're doing everybody a great big uh, disservice. Maybe those conversations were going on with uh, Audi or whoever that was representing them via the, the VW group. But we've been wondering for a long time where Audi might come into into Formula One in 2026, because we know where, or we know that they are, but we just didn't know how and where, but it looks like uh, Sauber is going to be that vehicle for them. We've long reported that there could be a potential tie-up or collaboration with Williams, although now it looks more than ever like Williams will partner with Alpine and start rocking a Renault power unit as early as next year. So that door is closed. We know there were conversations about a potential takeover of McLaren by Audi, although that was going to be complicated by the fact that they would inherit the McLaren road car division. And there was questions about whether the Volkswagen group would want to integrate the McLaren road car division into their massive family of brands. And then the kind of the the option or the opportunity that seemed to make the most sense because it came with the least baggage was Alfa Romeo Sauber or specifically the Sauber group. And I honestly believe, and I will until the end of time, that last year Sauber were negotiating with Andretti in, in good faith. And I feel like Stefano Domenicali or Ross Braun or Chase Carey put in a call or the call may have came from Lawrence Stroll or Bonato or Total Wolf. And they basically said, look, you're going to devalue the entire sport in the value of every one of our teams by selling at $280 million. There are better opportunities out there. Be patient. And I think because of that, Sauber got cold feet, kind of put some put some barriers in the way of the Andretti purchase to make it unpalatable to Andretti and ultimately was, hey, we want more money and we want to retain control. That was never going to be palatable to Andretti and he walked away. And I think the Audi purchase is going to dwarf, is going to dwarf whatever that purchase would have looked like. So it's going to be great for the Sauber group. It's going to be great for Formula One because it's going to elevate the values of each of the individual teams. And of course, it's great for Audi because it gets them into the sport and they get to take over a team that has fully built out infrastructure and it gives them a runway of three or four years to develop that engine and be competitive for 2026. The other thing as well, and I don't know if I put it on the outline, is there's a lot of chatter about the Volkswagen group team, so Porsche and Audi, pushing for concessions in the in the uh, cost cap come 26, 27, 28. And they're looking for some allowances in the cost cap during those years um, due to the need to develop and build these cars and a brand new engine. And reportedly, that's creating some consternation with the other teams and might be one of the reasons why this hasn't been announced yet. Because you're right, people within the paddock now are openly talking about the fact that this deal is done. They've exchanged 25% of the value of the team and they have an option for another 50%, which they are intending to exercise as soon as they can make this public. But huge news. Uh, hopefully this comes to fruition sooner rather than later. Well, it's not only the, this, this is one big story that's being uh, reported by Blick, but they're also uh, reporting that uh, come the July 6th weekend, that uh, Porsche and Red Bull are going to make an announcement that they're going to move forward as, uh, as equal partners from 2026 onwards. Um, you know, th- this is a big, big story. The other uh, thing I think that uh, they were also reporting is that they also um, announced at that time who will be leading, who will be the CEO on the Porsche side to, to, to spearhead that project. So there, there's a couple really, really exciting things that are really kind of bubbling beneath the surface here. 
But on top of that, it sounds like, and this is a bit of a, a mind blower, uh, apparently, but apparently Honda is already return, you know, interested in coming back into Formula One. But, you know, now with this uh, apparent Porsche and uh, Red Bull partnership to be announced in the next couple of weeks, it sounds like Honda is going to be a little bit on the outside looking in. But I mean, based on what they've done the last couple of years, if they can deliver with a new power unit in, in, in 2026, I don't think that there would be, you would have to think somebody's going to want to line up and, 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 and partner with Honda. This is, this is what I live for. Like this is, I know a lot of people enjoy the racing and talking about what happens on the track. That's not me. That's not me. This is the part of Formula One that I find most exciting. I know a lot of people like to talk about paddock fashion and relationships, and that's all cool. You could be any type of F1 fan, but this is the kind of stuff that gets me really excited. So again, reported that uh, Porsche Red Bull will announce that they are going to have a total equal partnership or collaboration that will kick off shortly. It's presumably to be announced in July at the Austrian Grand Prix, which is, of course, a track that's owned by Red Bull, and it's their home race uh, in their home track in their home country it will be as you described uh headed by somebody who has not yet been named it's very 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 interesting now like the audi piece there's a lot of questions about if this is so well understood and so well known and it's being widely reported in germany why aren't they just coming clear and kind of sharing this with the world and by all accounts it's because the rest of the sport still hasn't finalized the 2026 engine regulations. Like we have a pretty darn good idea of what they're going to look like. It's going to be a 1.6 liter V6. It's going to be turbocharged and it's going to have a huge reliance on kinetic energy recovery. So pulling heat out of the brakes, converting that into energy and sticking it into a battery store. So we generally understand what that new power unit is going to look like, but it sounds as though, at least based on some of these reports out of Germany, that the rest of the team are kind of kicking that final decision down the road because they're starting to squeeze Volkswagen a little bit. They feel that for the better part of the last two or three years, they've been getting squeezed by the Volkswagen group and they've been forced to make concessions. And now they're pushing back a little bit and saying, hey, we've done all this for you. You know what? Before we confirm and before we commit to the new engine regulations, we want to extract some concessions from you. So that might be the reason why these announcements haven't happened. But again, widely now reported in Germany, Audi will take over Sauber and Porsche is going to enter into an equal partnership with Red Bull. So they won't simply be a power unit supplier. They will be a co-owner of the team. And to build on the last point that you just spoke to, bursting out of the news in the last couple of days has been the story that Honda is eager to re-enter Formula One. And it doesn't end there. So Honda now eager to enter Formula One. They've missed their opportunity to repartner with Red Bull. I think until probably six months ago, there was an opportunity there where they could have just re-engaged and, and kind of picked up where they left off. I think the Porsche, the Porsche, uh, the Porsche negotiations are far too deep and far too sophisticated to unwind at this point, but Honda now is eager to come back. And ultimately, I think they probably recognize what a what a horrendous decision it was to exit the sports on the eve of becoming championship and possibly two-time champions because at this point, it looks like Red Bull could conceivably repeat, but they're also interested. Now, one of the stories that is coming out again from Germany is this conversation that Porsche isn't as interested in partnering with Red Bull with the AlphaTauri team. And there's conversations that the AlphaTauri team 
could be spun off, which I think is something you and I are probably big advocates of, that in a mm-hmm. world where there's 10 Formula One teams, you don't need two teams owned by the same company. And it's speculated that Honda is sniffing around a potential purchase of Alpha Tauri and turning it into a dedicated works team. Of course, they still have some relationships there from the time supplying them with Honda engines, but all of this is incredibly incredibly exciting. So for me, this is the stuff that's going to keep me up at night. And I was reading through this all day. And by the way, credit for you as well, because it doesn't matter when I build the outlines to the show, I can throw up links to stories in Dutch, in French, in German, you read them all. It's incredible. So (laughs) I I don't even try to find English translations anymore. Like I know he can read the German version and you pull stuff out of the German version by reading it that I can't even get out of a really good, deep uh, translation. So kudos to you, my friend. Yeah, sometimes a little bit difficult, though, to try and pull it out on the fly. And then I sort of have like my half my brain thinking in English and half my brain, you know, thinking in German or Dutch or French or whatever it is, trying to read it and then sort of, uh, you know, translate it and then condense it for for everybody. But uh, thanks for that, buddy. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this before we move into the break here in a couple of minutes. But, you know, I can... We've had this discussion about that. We're, we're we're obviously not big fans of junior teams or B teams, whatever you want to call it, especially like the the Red Bull Alpha Tower relationship. I mean, they're in two physically different locations, but they're still different owned countries. by the same different countries, right? Yeah. But still, um, you know, I, I'd like to see them kind of like in, in, in different entities, but they the or or is completely separate from from the, the the Red Bull umbrella, right? But the the only question that I have is that would Honda be able to do a better job now in the 2020s than they did almost 20 years ago before they came to the Mercedes team? Because if you kind of wind back the clock, Mercedes used to be Braun and Braun used to be Honda and Honda 15 years ago they struggled a little bit and not that I don't want to see them in the sport I think Honda is a great manufacturer they're full of innovation they're great engineers and uh, I'd love to see them in Formula One I just have to say I'm, I'm I'm a wee bit skeptical just based on some of their history as a constructor in, in the past that, that's Here, all I'm saying so I agree and I think you make a really great point that their second to most recent experience in Formula One. So obviously their experience with McLaren, which became the experience with Red Bull, was mixed. Their most recent experience as a manufacturer, and remember, they also had a B team for a brief period during that run in the late 2000s. The thing that I would I would calculate into my response is the fact that the environment, the economic environment of F1 today is fundamentally different than it was 15 years ago. When they exited the sport, there were no cost cap, there was no cost certainty. And if I'm if I'm on the Formula One board or I'm presenting the Formula One results to the board, it's very difficult to go to them and say, look, we need to spend two, five, six, seven hundred million dollars to create a team that might be competitive. The reality now is you go to the board and say, it's $135 million. That's it. That's all in. That's our our marketing campaign. That's logistics. That's car development. I'd throw a little bit on top for drivers and a couple of your top paid executives as we've discussed before, but I think the economic environment would make it more enticing for Honda. And that's probably what they're looking at at this point. And again, we talked before about the fact that the reason they're exiting is because 
leaders that were on the board previously had made that commitment. And when the new board came in, they had no desire to leave F1, but they wanted to honor the commitment that was made by their predecessor. So I think they've probably now just reevaluated and said, hey, in the world of a cost cap, this could work for us. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just take a little bit of issue with uh, one comment you made there. I think when you said that they had a bit of a mixed time with Red Bull. Yes and no, but I would say that- Mixed with McLaren. Mixed with, so what I was, and I should clarify, when you talk about the return in 2015, mixed with McLaren, much more successful with Red Bull. Yeah, no, I, I can com- uh, completely agree with that because uh, I was going to say that uh, where I was going to disagree with you is like, okay, sure, they didn't get it right first time around with uh, with Red Bull, but they got them to a really, really good place in a very, very short amount of time. And look where they are right totally now. I mean, agree. you're very, very correct in saying that Red Bull and Max Verstappen could win the championships again uh, this year. I mean, they're looking kind of difficult to bet against it uh, at this point in time. But hey, we're only nine races into this thing. We still got a lot of races to go before we get to Yas in December. So anything uh, could happen. So let's take another quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to do a lot more speculating, a lot more gossiping on some some track and race venue some stuff. Tea. Yeah, exactly. So let's sit back and buckle in. This uh, should be a bit of a fun ride. So uh, we'll be back in a moment to discuss. So don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Well, welcome back. And as promised, we're going to talk now about the rumor mill and perhaps some tracks that might appear on the Formula One calendar and some that might uh, disappear. Uh, Before we do that, before we do that, I just realized we missed one little note from our previous segment when we were speculating. We weren't reporting. We were speculating on what could be happening with the manufacturers coming and going from Formula One. Michael Schmidt from AMUS in Germany is reporting that there is possibly one more manufacturer when here's for Formula One circles, but nobody who knows it, but nobody, and I'm trying to read the translation here. So let me try this again. There should be <laughs> one more manufacturer, but nobody knows who that is. So this was reported a couple of days ago. And since then, the news about Honda exploded onto the scene. But in the two or three days after this quote came out, people were speculating that it could be an American OEM. And Ooh. people were then breaking down, could this be Chevrolet? Could this be Ford? Of course, Ford most recently was involved with the Jaguar F1 team, which ultimately became Red Bull and of course experienced tons of success, or it could be Chevy. And of course, Chevy is an engine supplier to the IndyCar series right now, one of the two along with Honda. So it could be Honda. I think there probably is some desire from Honda to get back into the sport, but this is the first time that we're starting to hear from people that are well-respected as reporters within the industry that there could potentially be an American OEM that's interested in joining the sport. So right now, just to recap, we have Alpine, 
we have Mercedes, we have the Honda-ish Red Bull power units. Mm-hmm. Um, who else are we missing? We've got the Ferrari power, power units. So I guess that's the four right now, right? And potentially we could add two separate Volkswagen-derived engines in Audi and Porsche. Honda maybe comes back. We could live in a world where there could be six or seven, maybe eight engine suppliers in Formula One, which is just mind-boggling. Well, did not, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Aston Martin say or uh, Lawrence Stroll say that at some point point that they want to develop their own power units? So, I mean, absolutely, that would be cool. I mean, as interesting and as fascinating as it is to see different teams with customer units, say, see how the Williams compares to the, uh, the, the, the Mercedes. The thing is, you don't really get a good comp between a Williams and a Mercedes. I mean, it's, it, we're kind of really removed from the, 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 uh, I was just ran the tip of my tongue. McLaren. There it is. McLaren Mercedes partnership. I mean, they were dominant uh, together. They were basically a works team. They were it basically, was basically a works, works team. team. Yeah, yeah. 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 Basically. But I mean, uh, McLaren now is uh, in a bit of a different team. I mean, they it's, it's evolved to beyond what that was uh, before. So it is kind of interesting, like I say, to see what uh, teams do with uh, customer engines. But uh, I'm a lot more excited by the fact that you would have more works teams. You'd have Aston Martin building a chassis and a power unit just like Ferrari, just like Mercedes, and then you know anybody else uh, that might want to get on board with that as well. I, th- I think that's really, really exciting stuff. I totally agree. And that one thing I'll add before we move on to the 2023 calendar and beyond is you got to remember that customer teams are always at a massive disadvantage versus their supplier. So I may be getting a Mercedes power unit. I may have an agreement. You may feed me Mercedes power units and a couple of engineers to help with the integration process. But ultimately, that power unit was designed for a very different car. We're talking the packaging, the size, the dimensions, all of that. That was designed with a different chassis in mind. So you're basically taking a power unit and you're being forced to develop an entire chassis and aero design and aero formula around a power unit that you had no input into, right? Like if you're a customer team, you don't get to give feedback. You just take it as it arrives on that crate and the engineers just help you shove it into the back of your car. So they're always at a disadvantage. So I think fewer customer teams isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means that maybe we have a more competitive field when teams are able to work more closely with the company that's developing that power unit and they're able to design the power unit for their car rather than vice versa. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Okay, now this is another one that's kind of uh, exciting and fun to talk about. So we're talking about maybe gaining some races, maybe losing one very well-known and popular race, which would be be sad. But some of the, uh, or potentially two, I guess, if uh, you the way that you look at the angle on one of these stories. So we're going to go here with Morocco, Madrid in Spain, Nice in France, and then Belgium, which is the one that might drop off uh, the, the the calendar. So let's start with uh, Morocco. So this is uh, interesting. So uh, F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali is quoted recently in the German media uh, saying the following quote, we have requests from Africa. We are discussing with South Africa and a country in North Africa, as well as two from the Far East, end quote. So South Africa, that's not really a surprise that's been out there. We talked about as recently as a couple of weeks ago. This has kind of been, this percolates uh, up through the, up to the, I guess the, the the consciousness in Formula One at least once every three, four weeks. And it's probably been like that for what, about six months now, probably Definitely. going back to the beginning of the year. So that's not really a surprise. The North Africa one, I think that um, 
Morocco would probably be the one logical guess if you're going to try and draw anything out of those uh, comments. The other two in the Far East, and I mean, we're we're pulling a lot. We're making a lot of speculation out of like a two-sentence statement from Stefano Domenicali. But I mean, the Far East, I mean, where could that potentially be? I mean, Far East to me gets you much further away from from obviously the Middle East, like Dubai and Abu Dhabi, places like that, even... Um, well, I mean, Qatar, we know is going to be on the calendar. I would, uh, you know, hazard to say that that would even take you further beyond uh, India, which we've seen Formula One race at uh, before. That's to be more South Asia, you know, rather than, I mean, Far East. I'm thinking like China, Japan, maybe some of those uh, Southeast Asian countries, like maybe like uh, Thailand, Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam is an obvious one to maybe draw, you know, like uh, make a conclusion about because that was supposed to be on the calendar. But what with the, you know, the pandemic and everything, I mean, we were all ready to go racing around the streets of Hanoi. And then, well, it wasn't just uh, due to the um, due to the pandemic. There was probably toxicity there. Yeah, yeah, that that's the best way to put it. So I, I don't know what, what else you could maybe pull out of those comments from the Far East, maybe Korea. I mean, that might be yeah. a logical one. I mean, Japan is kind of already set with Suzuka, and we've seen it go from Suzuka to Fuji uh, before, Fuji Speedway, which is kind of a, a cool one. But um, wh- what do you think about those ones, Mark? Yeah. Does Morocco seem like a logical choice based on Domenicali's comment? We've been to Morocco before, and I think... It's advantageous for Stefano Domenicali to keep throwing out interested cities, right? Like it helps build leverage that when you're negotiating with when you're negotiating with Monaco and when you're negotiating with Barcelona and all of these established cities and spa, you know, it helps you from a leverage perspective if you are verbally floating in the media the idea of all of these other cities that are interested in hosting a Formula One race. Morocco's cool. It would presumably be in Casablanca. Casablanca held a Grand Prix right up to 1958. They're they're embedded within the fabric of the history of Formula One. Of course, we haven't been there in five decades, but I think that would be interesting. I'm not necessarily sure if it adds a ton of diversity to the calendar, given, as you indicated, there's a pretty significant concentration of races, uh, a couple hours flight to the east when you talk about Azerbaijan to a lesser extent, but obviously Qatar, Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, and and Jeddah. But I think it could present an interesting background or kind of cityscape. I think that's cool. I, I don't know that it's necessarily realistic because I think what we do know is next year we will see a calendar that will maximize the allowable number of races as per the 2020 Concord Agreement, and that's going to be 24. And when you start counting races pretty quickly, you're up to 25, 26, 27 races. And suddenly it's not about adding races. It's about which of these races aren't going to be on on the calendar next year. And we can probably sure. speculate as the fact that probably Paul Ricard is going to be gone. I don't think that's a race that outside of South France, there's a ton of people in the F1 community is going to miss that race terribly. But I think we're probably going to see a race like that go and we'll probably get to spawn a couple of minutes, but there's potentially going to be some really, really bad news there. I think what is interesting and 
you know, we talked about this last week was how spicy it got between Sydney and Melbourne. The fact that there was two cities within the country of Australia that was fighting over the Australian Grand Prix. And it looks like we may end up seeing a similar situation in Spain. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago about the fact that the city of Madrid is now putting together a proposal and a bid to steal away the Spanish Grand Prix from Barcelona and their hopes, their intents would be to build a temporary street circuit that they would build up and tear down every season to host the race. And I think F1 was left with a pretty sour taste in its mouth, given the fact that the Spanish Grand Prix saw some huge crowds this year, and they discovered that the infrastructure that supports the race, getting people into and out of it, wasn't ideal, and that the infrastructure at the track simply wasn't capable of supporting the number of people that were there. So even if it stays in Barcelona, that track needs hundreds of millions of dollars of improvements and refurbishments. Meanwhile, Madrid saying, hey, forget about the Spanish Grand Prix. Come here. We'll put together a really spectacular street track. So I think that's that's really, really interesting as well that you now have cities within countries that are fighting over existing National Grand Prix. You know, I, I'm a little bit biased here because, you know, I've been to the Spanish Grand Prix at, uh, in Barcelona and Barcelona period is just uh, one of my favorite places on earth. So I'd be a little bit sad from that sort of nostalgic biased point of view. But you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, I mean, Formula One is all about uh, competition. And just because you've been on the calendar for, you know, years and years and years or since time immemorial, basically, with uh, with, with Barcelona, they've been on the calendars going back to the early 90s, if I remember correctly. But I mean, if uh, somebody else can come up uh, with, with a better venue, then sure, why not? I mean, if as long as it goes through a fair and transparent bidding process, then uh, then why not? You know, a little competition never hurt anyone. But I mean, obviously, there's a lot of money at stake here. But, you know, just in general, I mean, at least uh, from, from my point of view, it would give me another reason to go back to, to Spain, which is a country I absolutely love and uh, the, love the language. And that's that's another language I'm learning, but I'm not quite there yet to do on the fly tra- Spanish translation. Give me a couple of months and then uh, I got your back on that. But yeah, you know, that is fascinating. I mean, uh, yeah, Paul Ricard, just going back to your comments on the French Grand Prix, I'm as as excited and as pleased as I was to see the French Grand Prix back on the calendar a couple of years ago. I have to admit that Paul Ricard is not really my favorite option. Sure, it looks kind of cool with all the different colors of um, asphalt around there that, you know, it's different uh, levels of uh, abrasiveness, which helps slow the cars down once they get off the track. But it just... Um, it just doesn't deliver in terms of the on-track uh, spectacle. I mean, we saw some some interesting things here and there happen, some exciting moments, but they're kind of far and few between. And then you have the Mistral straight around the back of the circuit. They've got that uh, kind of hokey chicane halfway down, which I understand is there for for safety reasons, you know, because if they're going to wind those cars up and basically go flat out for two miles or whatever it is, it's obviously a bit of a, a safety thing. But uh, I, I wouldn't be completely crushed uh, to see it uh, disappear off the off the calendar but i am very intrigued uh, by the comments and there really isn't a lot out there but uh, either that uh, they might uh, disappear in and be replaced by a uh, a street circuit in the city of uh, nice so who knows how much uh, there is to that one we'll have to to see wait and see what uh, develops but uh, it's certainly very very interesting 
but you know the one and and this is one that i'm i'm really kind of i have a lot of uh, mixed feelings about and there's been a lot of talk this year that uh, spa the home of the belgian grand prix which has been on the calendar again for many many years three four decades whatever it is might uh, disappear from the uh, the Formula One calendar as early as uh, next year. I mean, Eau Rouge is one of the uh, classic and iconic Formula One uh, corners. Unfortunately, last year, the Belgian Grand Prix was a complete debacle, to put it to politely, because we had that complete washout. They did the couple of laps behind the safety car. Everybody went home. They handed out half points, which we uh, cynically disagreed with and did our best to kind of distance ourselves and by rounding points up or down i can't remember what we did at the time now because we weren't big fans of that but it was just marred by bad accidents all weekend long during the the support races in the w series for example and then lando had that big crash in qualifying so it's um yeah, it, it it hasn't had a good reputation recently, but historically, I mean, there's been some great moments at that track over the years. So to see it disappear from the calendar, I, for one, would certainly have some some mixed mixed feelings about that. GPblog.com is reporting, and I'm just going to read this real quick. GPblog.com is reporting that F1 journalist Joe Sayward is under the impression that Formula One through Liberty and the FIA currently has two separate 2023 F1 calendars. So they're developing two separate calendars that could be implemented. Now, currently, both of them apparently have the Monaco Grand Prix on them, although it is clear that there's an asterisk next to it on both of those calendars. But what it says that I find kind of interesting here is that next year, obviously, we're going to be introducing Las Vegas. It's reported that we're going to introduce South Africa. China may come back. And now all of a sudden, we're in a position where there's going to be 25 races of an allowable 24. So we know we're going to lose some races. I don't think it's going to be Monaco. I think that they just have an avalanche of cash at their at their disposal if they need to, if they get into fierce negotiations with Liberty. But to your point, I think the heartbreak, and obviously last year's race at at Spa was a disaster. And I think it was because the race organizers weren't great to their fans. And I don't think that the FIA or Liberty were good to their fans either because the fact that they classified a race that ran two laps behind a safety <laughs> car is disgusting. But ultimately, I, I think it's a fantastic venue. But I think it also goes back to the fact that F1 wants to regionalize the calendar to cut down on emissions and cut down on traveling and that they would basically regionalize it. So you have a European calendar, you would have a North American, South American calendar, and you would have an Asian calendar. So you can kind of put the races together and shorten travel distance and things like that, allow teams to set up regional bases for, for tools and resources and people and things like that. And when you look at the number of races in Europe currently, there's an awful lot of them, right? Like, let's do the math right now. You've got the British Grand Prix, you've got Paul Ricard, you have Monaco, Spa, Zandvoort, which only joined the calendar last year. You have Spain. There's an awful, you have Monza, you have Imola. Like, there's an awful lot Hungary. of races there. Hungary, right. Absolutely. And Austria. And the Austria. list goes on. <laughs> and, and if you look at the fact that they're trying to build a regionalized calendar that can 
be spread evenly over the course of the year. There's an awful lot of races. And we talked last week about the fact that Formula One, the governing body, Liberty and the FIA, they're so thrilled with Zandvoort and what it delivered as a spectacle and from an experience perspective from fans. And also the fact that it was an absolutely money-making cash cow and is closer to a metropolitan body as opposed to spa, which is far off in the distance. I think their feeling is that, hey, Zandvoort is a really good potential replacement for spa on the calendar because regionally, Within Europe, it delivers very much the same pull um, and it can deliver a better experience because it's closer to a metropolitan body. But I think we will see a calendar next year, which will cluster races based on geography far more than we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's quite uh, quite funny because I swear that you and I had this conversation a long, long time ago about the regional calendar. Totally. And th- this was, you know, th- this is before the days of almost double digit inflation and energy and gas shortages and all this kind of craziness, right? That we've uh, really been experiencing uh, globally over the past uh, couple of months. And sadly, there doesn't seem to be any sight, uh, you know, anytime soon there, any, any end to it at any time soon. But we, we, we talked about it uh, at one point. I'd have to go back and dig through the archives. But we just thought that uh, just even the, uh, the, the, like the, the cost cap era, it just kind of made sense. But we also sort of uh, tackle it from the angle, just from the, uh, the logistics, right? That you have uh, the, this fixed amount of people that can run a Formula One team, be it uh, engineers or the, the, the people that uh, do all the stuff behind the scenes. And of course, the drivers, the engineers and, and all that, plus the people back in the factories. So we thought uh, we, we kind of tackled it to, from that. But I mean, now more than ever, it makes more sense what with inflation through the roof and, and energy prices uh, through the roof and just the logistics prices increasing. What was it? Uh, 10 or 15 percent over the last uh, several months. So it just just kind of makes uh, sense now uh, more than ever. Hey, Mark. Uh, so why don't we, before we close out the show, we haven't done a mailbag section in a while. I don't know if you've got oh, any nice. tweets there. Uh, I do have an email here from uh, Nicholas in Montreal. Sent us uh, an email a couple of days ago to scooteryf1pod at gmail.com. Uh, Nicholas's email says, Hey guys, new fan from Montreal here of F1 and the podcast. Got hooked on the sport after watching DTS recently. When I first heard about DRS, I thought it was a great, exciting thing for the sport and overtaking, so I couldn't understand why you weren't a big fan of it. But after seeing 9GP, I think I understand now. Yes, there is overtaking, but it is boring overtaking for the most part. Why not make DRS the opposite uh, that, as it is at the moment? Meaning that you could use DRS when you're one plus second uh, back, but you can't use it for over or for passing. Wouldn't this make it easier for drivers to catch up to the uh, leaders and then make them have to fight for an overtake? A good fight with no overtaking is better than an overtake on DRS. Keep up the good work, Nicholas. Well, cheers for the email, Nicholas. So what do you make of that rather than the DRS overtaking, using the DRS to close the gap and then have to fight for the uh, the, the pass, the overtake, and the uh, take the position the old-fashioned way? That's kind of an alternative take that, uh, honestly, I'd never really thought of before. Yeah, interesting take. And thank you so much for reaching out. Thanks for the email. And thank you for supporting the show. I, I think the tricky is that DRS has been designed as a tool to equalize the playing field when you're in that dirty air, that it was never designed to bring you close to the car. It was designed as a mechanism to allow you to escape the dirty air in a way that you shouldn't have to, given the fact that the dirty air is only there as a consequence of the aero formula that we've used for the past couple of decades. So it's it's an interesting thought. I think ideally for me as well, I just... 
I, I, I don't necessarily want to iterate on the concept of DRS. I just want to better engineer the cars so that we don't have to have a, an artificial tool like this in the sport. And to me, it's a very slippery slope. It's kind of like the DH in baseball, although baseball has now gotten rid of the DHS, DH, I guess. Like it was a tool and a mechanism to increase offense, to improve the spectacle, to make the sport more entertaining. And I feel like DRS was an acknowledgement that, hey, the dirty air these cars are throwing up is making it really difficult to pass. Here's a cool way that we can overcome that. I would just rather them engineer it out of the sport. And I think generating downforce from the floor of the car is a great first step. We're not there yet. I think there's still work that needs to be done with the cars. But I think my preference would be let's not iterate on this artificial equalizer or this artificial weapon. Let's just better develop the car so we don't need to have it at, at all, to be totally honest. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, that was the idea with these uh, new cars, the new regs that they uh, introduced uh, for this year, but they didn't really want to throw everything out all at one time from from the pre- previous era, and that right. included uh, DRS. So I think it will disappear at, uh, at, uh, at, at some point in the future. I mean, the fact that we, you know, we've had a TD on porpoising as recently as a week ago just goes to show that these new cars are still a work in progress and it's going to take a while to really iron out all the kinks and really get a handle on what's what these cars are doing i mean mattia bonato was uh, saying just a couple of days ago that uh, this td it's not changing the rules or enforcing the rules it's it's a clarification if anything that didn't really affect them and you know red bull basically said the the, the same thing i mean when we were talking to to tim haraney just a couple of weeks ago i mean he had a couple really simple solutions how to how to uh, eliminate porpoising for the teams that were plagued by it but you know unfortunately if you implement those changes you're going to slow down you're not going to be as competitive so it's it's a trade-off i mean you you know you might have to go with a bit more of an aggressive uh, setup you know lower ride height but you're going to be punished for it or else uh, you know y- you don't anyhow i mean the, the the whole thing is that at some point we will or we, I mean, collectively, Formula One, all the teams will figure out these uh, these uh, new cars, these new regulations. And hopefully when they do, that uh, DRS uh, will become a thing of the past because it just won't be uh, needed anymore. When that will be, I don't know. If it will be, I don't know. But certainly, I cross my fingers and hope that it uh, disappears because... I'm I'm not a big fan of artificial equalizers. I'd like to see the cars and drivers go uh, at it and ultimately succeed or fail based on their own merits or or limitations. Yeah, I totally agree. On that note, I think uh, we talked in the off season about the fact that Stefano Domenicali and Ross Braun. I think they're they're very much of the mind that they want to eliminate it from the sport, and ideally we would have done it for this year. But I think they also recognize that none of the too teams- much too soon. Yeah, 100%. It was too much too soon. And they realized that the need and the effectiveness of DRS should peter out over the course of one or two seasons. And then maybe, maybe you wipe it out for 2024. But I think based on what we've seen so far this year, the regulations, well, it seemed like they were very effective early on either haven't had the effect that maybe we had hoped or that the effect hasn't been experienced by most of the field due principally to their own engineering flaws. I think if you look at Red Bull, I think they did a phenomenal job of engineering that car. They've carried over a great power unit. It's almost frozen from a homologation perspective, but their floor, their aero formula, 
fantastic job. I think they've done a great job. I think we need to give the rest of the teams another year to catch up. I think at this point, a lot of teams are probably going to start turning off development on their 2022 car pretty quickly. I think we've already heard from Haas that if they have any upgrades this year, they're going to be sparing or they're going to happen sparingly. And I think a lot of these teams are going to start turning their focus to 2022. So at some point, I think the experience that we've seen so far, which has been principally Red Bull domination, largely at the expense of Ferrari, although some of that's self-inflicted, will probably be kind of the staple for the rest of the season. And I think what we'll need to start looking forward to is, hey, what are these gonna teams going to come to winter testing with for take two on the new regulations next spring? Or is, is the gap going to be closed? Because obviously there's some teams that are way off the mark, including Mercedes for a lot of reasons. And Haas is terrible. Uh, Williams has been absolutely atrocious. And I think these teams are probably going to pack up their 2022 development, partly because they're probably getting close to the cap anyways, but also because there's no reason to continue to invest in this car when they need to look towards a season where they can be competitive potentially from the jump. Yeah, great points. And I, I don't want to give uh, Ferrari a bit of an honor- honorable mention. I mean, when it comes to the 2022 cars, I think that uh, obviously Red Bull has nailed it. They've gotten it more right than anyone else. And the problems that they've had this year is mostly reliability. And that's, that really plagued them earlier in the year. I mean, obviously, Sergio had this problem, the the mechanical failure at Montreal last weekend. I mean, they're they're not invincible. I mean, they they've they've been a little bit more reliable in you know in, in the past, but I mean, certainly they're in a you know from a reliability point, at least after race three, they've been you know a lot more reliable over the past half dozen races than uh, Ferrari. But I mean fundamentally i think ferrari have a good car this year but i mean their their problems especially reliability have just been that much worse but then like you say a lot of their problems have also been self-inflicted their drivers have kind of let the, down the team at times the teams have let down the drivers at time so that uh, kind of goes uh, kind of goes hand in hand but in general, I think uh, the the car itself is uh, is is pretty good. So I'm not going to lump them in with everyone else. They're kind of not quite Red Bull, and they're not quite everyone else. So I guess they get half a gold star compared to a full gold star for Red Bull. Anyways, it looks like you've got something. I'm hoping you got something here, or else I just got to keep talking, and I don't yeah, know if that's talking, necessarily what Keep talking while I find this tweet. Keep talking. <laughs> oh, is that what you're doing? So How okay, are the that, kids that's doing, my friends? How are the kids doing? <laughs> I, I, you know, it? while I bring this up. Um, for everyone listening, uh, a while back, Mr. Daly's like, hey, I need to get a new soundbar. I'm like, my friend, let oh, me yeah, help right. you out with that. Three <laughs> months later, I still haven't delivered that soundbar, but it has finally shipped. So my friend, and this is not an ad, hashtag not an ad. Um, I, he is going to be joining the Sonos family. So I am a yeah, I big, wait. big fan of the Sonos product. Ah, I found the tweet. So enough of Sonos. There you go. <laughs> um, this comes from one of our fantastic listeners, Mr. BJ Crabtree. And I'm going to paraphrase here. He is incredibly excited about the fact that Porsche is going to potentially be partnering with with Red Bull. And his point is like, look, you know what? I've been following Formula One for a couple of years now. I like to think of myself as a free agent, but Porsche runs in my blood. It's very close to my family. Family, that's the team I'm going to align with. So he's uh, cool. declaring, cool. announcing himself as a Red Bull Porsche fan. So I don't know if that fandom kicks in right away while they're still running this Honda power unit, or if he's going to wait for a couple of years to turn that on and buy the merch, but very, very cool. And uh, good to hear from you. I do have a question for you though. So I'm just going to pull this okay. up real quick. 
I was just going to say, because you're obviously looking for some more filler. I, I mean, if I could suggest anything to BJ, I mean, if he's a you know a bit of a, a Formula One free agent at the moment, if they're going to reportedly link up with Red Bull, then they're, they're already Porsche adjacent. So, you know, might as well start, uh, you know, that, you know, not that I got any stakes in selling Red Bull merch, but, you know, anyways, I, I'm just trying to help you out while you struggle to find, because I put you on the spot for tweets anyways. Yeah, you did. And normally we have, well, actually, what I was going to, I'm joking. We never talk about the show ahead of time. We just wing it every time. And that's, I think, what makes it so great. But the question here is, Mark, in the past, you've talked about the fact that you've covered Major League Soccer. Can you talk a little bit about your background covering sports and your credentials as a reporter? Yeah, okay. So that that's kind of interesting. So um, I've been in the podcasting game now almost a decade. So this uh, started, uh, th- this was a spinoff uh, from the original one. So uh, one of my best friends now is a fellow by the name of Jorge Mendoza. He's uh, also a Whitecaps fan. He lives in uh, Vancouver. And we kind of interacted on, on Twitter in the, the Whitecaps Twitterverse way back when. And I kind of like uh, knew this guy a little bit from there. And then one day he sends me a, a DM. He's like, hey, I got an idea. Do you want to uh, get together and talk about it? So we met up at a Starbucks one night. He had this whole thing all set up. He had like a, a name picked out. He had everything all basically set up. And I remember going back to my wife and saying afterwards, I said, Jesus, guy's got everything all set, all figured out to do a Whitecaps podcast and everything. So we started with that way back. It was towards, it was be the latter half of 2013. And we didn't make any fanfare about it. We just kind of started it and we just kind of released a couple of episodes. Anywhere from there, we started blogging. And then it just kind of took off uh, from there. We started uh, contributing to a couple of uh, well-known blogs around. And then we started uh, contributing to uh, a site uh, here in Vancouver called Daily Hive, which a lot of people know. We used to uh, do all of their Whitecaps uh, coverage uh, for quite a while. Jorge and I are now out of the business. We haven't covered uh, Major League Soccer in a couple of years. Basically, because it was just getting too hard to, to do it, because the the, the the way that we did the, the that podcast was that we were going to do it as long as it uh, it stayed fun, as long as we had time. And then he was working a lot at the time. I was working a lot at the time. And then it just uh, kind of got to the point uh, that we just weren't able to do it. So we decided, hey, you know what? We had a really, really good run. We were credentialed for Major League Soccer for the Vancouver Whitecaps for a good number of years. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that also extended to when they had a USL team, which was Whitecaps FC2, which is kind of like a minor league team, but that was fun. But we were always credentialed for... um, every time uh, that the Canadian men's national team played in Vancouver. So through uh, the CSA, which was also always very, very interesting. I think one of the highlights covering soccer for me uh, was the Canada-Mexico match at BC Place in Vancouver. And was it March or April 2016? 2016. Jorge loved it because, you know, he's from from Mexico City. He he cheers for L3 all the time internationally. And of course, Canada, uh, especially now because he's a Canadian citizen, it's an adopted country. But, you know, that that was quite the circus because you had a lot of uh, Mexican fans coming up from from Washington State, and uh, BC Place was packed to the rafters. I think L three won like five one or six three one that night. Some, I, think, I think it was three one. I think it was more than that, but I, okay. I, I can't remember. But uh, I, I just remember afterwards going down onto the concourse and uh, just to, into the scrum. And uh, Miguel uh, Miguel Layun was there, and Jorge had like these phone cases made up for us. So every time we'd get into a scrum, you know, it'd have our logo on the back of the phone case. 
Soya, Fox Deportes, ESPN Deportes was there, plus TSN, all the big uh, Canadian networks. And there's Jorge standing there with his, uh, his phone case in the Miguel Layun's face, you know, like all nicely displayed. And then afterwards, it's like, dude, did you get any good audio? But it was in Spanish, so we can't really use it for the pod. He said, oh, no, man, I just I didn't actually have my phone in it. It was just the case, you know, <laughs> I just put it up there just so we could That's get some awesome. airtime. But it was also really cool because we were sitting up in the media lounge because if uh, at BC Place, the, um, the the press box is pretty close to where the media lounge is. And we'd always go in there for a pregame meal and sit down and chat with colleagues and things like that. And it was always uh, a lot of fun. And it's it was very high school. You know, you, you kind of had to watch out which table you sat at. But it was a uh, it was really interesting because that day, like I say, it was a media circus. There was so much Mexican press there from any kind of medium that you can uh, think of. And at one point, Jorge Campos walked into the uh, into the pre- into the media lounge there, and I mean, he's a legendary player, and he was doing color for, I think it was ESPN Deportes that night. But I remember sitting there with uh, Jorge, and, uh, and and Campos walked in. I just said, to, "Oh my God, is that Jorge Campos? That guy's a legend!" And it was it was pretty cool. I mean, there was a lot of really really uh, big names. So, anyways, uh, to kind of. Uh, branch off into formula one so we had like everything set up uh for for the soccer stuff the podcast the and i did a lot of work also for um i did some stuff for cbc i did for a uh, radio station that's now defunct in vancouver's um roundhouse fm i had a weekly spot on there and then uh, did quite a bit for a sirius xm radio uh covering the white caps uh, for them as well so that was uh, pretty cool but anyways so we had all this stuff uh, set up uh, to do all, all the soccer stuff. So at one point I thought, you know, what the heck, you know, I, I can do the podcasting. So I just started doing this on my own. And the name Scuderia F1 is is basically a placeholder name. I'm very good at, uh, you know, coming up and talking about things. I'm good at the technical side. But when it comes to the creative things, I'm not very good at that. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go with something. I'll think about it over the off season. I'll come up with a nice, cool name by the time the, the, the season gets going. So this started the 2016 season. And I never did. And I thought, well, once the season started, I thought, well, uh, okay, maybe I'll rebrand in the off season. So here we are seven years later <laughs> with the same temporary placeholder name. And the, the show has grown hand over fist. I mean, and we're only doing the podcast too. We're, we're, we're not doing any, uh, we're not doing any blogging. We're not doing anything. I mean, obviously I've had a chance recently to do some stuff for Spy- Sky Sports UK for global TV. So that's pretty cool. But uh, I mean, the, the whole focus of what we do in formula one is just me and you sitting down here on a thursday night or on sunday nights with our good friend tim haraney from tsn and recapping the races and that that's where it at where it's at and i mean obviously you and i have been doing this together now almost two years and when i look i mean i was just doing it once a week with like a, a brief uh, race recap i i don't even know how many shows we've done together now but i would not be surprised if it's 150 at least feels like that. It definitely feels like that, especially yeah. with the oh, for f- sure. increased frequency with which we do yep. them. And I think we came into this year and our commitment was let's do two shows every week. So that's pretty easy on a race week because the staple, the backbone of the show is the Thursday, Friday news show. And I think yep. for a lot of people, the feedback generally is, hey, you guys are pretty in tune with sports. You're on Reddit, you're on Twitter. You generally have a sense of what's going on. But most fans don't have the luxury of being able to spend a lot of time on the web reading and catching up. So I think one of the things that people are 
appreciate is we take all the news, we aggregate it, we put it into an outline that's digestible. People can sit down, listen to the podcast in 90 minutes and feel like they're up to date with everything that's happening in Formula One. Of course, we add our own color and our own commentary and things like that. Now, the next question for you, and maybe we wrap it up with this one, but this one builds perfectly on what you were just asking. And this comes from a listener, Josh, in Las Vegas. Josh asks, you are my favorite podcast by far. You're human, you're accessible, you're approachable. Love it. He's like, the one thing that drives me crazy is there's all these other podcasts on big networks now, The Athletic, The Ringer, etc. Why don't you guys have a partnership with a big broadcaster so you can get more reach? What more can we do to support you? Have you ever considered doing a Patreon? Yeah, well, you know, we we have uh, thought about doing the Patreon thing, and I think uh, just uh, you know the the only thing that's stopping you and I from doing that is just the you know, the amount of bandwidth that you and I have, you know totally. have personally. I totally. mean, you do an amazing job. You've stepped up this year to to really release these uh, these interview series, and you've done a fantastic job connecting with drivers with personalities like across the spectrum, and it's been really really great listening. I know that you've got another bunch of great interviews coming up. It's you know one coming up uh, that's going to drop. Uh, uh, beginning of next week, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm not going to hint about it, so I don't want to spoil what to spoil from that. But oh, yeah, yeah, actually, I mean, we could probably say that now. It's Lily Herman okay. who is herself launching a podcast on Sports Illustrated five days from now or four days from now, depending on when you listen to this podcast on June 28th. Yep. So we're excited for that one. But please, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, so I mean, um, the, the one thing that I would feel obligated because uh, Jorge and I did a Patreon when we did uh, the, the 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 soccer podcast when we were doing from the back line. And when we do that, you know, there's an obligation there to to release extra content, and then and that's I think that's the problem. They're the issue that you and I have is just uh, everything else that we got going on is just sitting down to put out like a, a you know additional content every week or wh- wh- whatever it might be. You know, I love the support that people are you know that that, that are giving us, and love the idea that uh, that people would be interested in doing something like that. I'm just not ha- how sure how how we'd actually do that. I mean, as far as the, you know, not being picked up by a bigger outlet. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we, we do what we do. It seems to be very, very popular. I mean, when you look at our stats, uh, I mean, we are literally in the top one or 2% of podcasts worldwide because I mean, most podcasts really only get maybe a couple hundred downloads per episode. And we do tens of thousands of uh, downloads month over month. I mean, we've already doubled our downloads uh, from, from last year and that was a record year. So we're on track to double uh, what we did last year, which is incredible growth just year over yeah. year. So I don't know. We, we did this thing for fun. Would it be cool to do it um, via a bigger outlet? Absolutely. How we get to do that, I don't know. Um, so I don't know. Does it necessarily need to go there? Again, I, I'm not really sure. I, I guess if that opportunity came and somebody came and knocked at the door, it would. We we just have to look at it if and when it happens. So I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. you what, what what more you can add to that, sir. Yeah, not a lot. I, I would say though that one Patreon. You know, we've talked about that, and I think for us, if we're going to ask people to give us their hard-earned money, we would want to feel really good about being able to deliver something meaningful to them. That it wasn't a cash grab, and it wasn't something that we weren't 
really investing our heart and our soul into. So again, we could do a, a, a Patreon, but I just I don't think we could do. I don't think we could deliver the value that people would hope and expect and deserve as part of that. Again, that mm-hmm. might change in the future. And I think for us as well, hey, bandwidth is limited now, but the reality is if an opportunity came along and we were able to partner with a bigger company, you know, it may be as part of that partnership, we could be able to develop or create some more bandwidth because to your point, oh, you yeah. know, sure. this podcast is is break even. Like that's it. It's a break even podcast. We cover, we cover expenses. That's awesome. We do it for fun. We do it because we love the community. But I think, you know what, if a big opportunity came along and you know what, maybe there was a different angle, like, Hey, maybe there's more that we could do. And maybe it's a third show or maybe it's a Patreon. But the one thing that I would ask the community to do, and this is huge for us. And I can't explain how big this is, but if you're on Spotify Give us a rating. It make it means the world to us. And and if you use Apple Podcast, a rating and a review is huge. That yeah, that to 100%. us is possibly the most important thing because as we understand the the methodologies and the engines that drive podcast aggregation through the apps reviews and ratings are a huge part of it. So obviously when Apple's looking at which podcasts to provide exposure to and Spotify's doing the same, they look at downloads and they look at consumption, but a big part of it is reviews. And we know how big our audience is and we are incredibly blessed and honored by the sheer number of people that download every episode. I just hope that we could get to a point where one or 2% of that audience could give us a review or a rating. That would mean the world to us. And to all of you that have recently, and a ton of you have, I meant to send you to Today, Mark, we got four or five really great reviews today. Um, thank you so much. It means the world to us and it only takes a couple of seconds. But I think for now, if you want to support us, listen to the podcast, give us feedback, engage, join us for the spaces, ask us questions, give us a review. That's pretty much all we can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with that more. And just to kind of wrap up that thought and just as we start to wrap up the show. Yeah, we're, it's, <coughs> excuse me, I'm not getting emotional here. I actually just kind of swallowed the wrong way. I was just going to say that uh, even though that we're not in the position to do like a Patreon right now, it's something that we haven't completely shut the door on. It just doesn't make sense to do it right now. And as Mark said, that uh, if the situation changes, we could uh, do an about face rather rapidly. So who knows? It might come at, uh, at some point. But anyways, I think that's a, a good place to, to park it for now. You know, thank you, uh, everybody, for downloading and listening to the show. Thank you for your tweets and your emails. Best way to get, reach us is via Twitter. You can uh, find us there at ScooterF1Pod. Uh, you can find him on Twitter, Mark Hamilton, that is, at Mark and Van City. I'm at Mark Daily F1, and that is daily with an L-E-Y at the end, the Scottish way, not the Irish way. And if you want to send us an email like Nicholas did, you can find us there at ScooteryF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Have a great weekend, guys. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Bye for now. 